Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the Two Scene Podcast. Welcome, first-time listeners, to the Two Scene Podcast, the podcast where two aspiring sports journalists sit down and talk baseball. I am your host, Tyler Foy, and alongside me is my co-host, Nathan Lannon. How are you doing today, Nate? Uh, it's been a long day, Tyler, but I'm happy to be back recording. Right, because we did take that day off on Monday. We did not have an upload, but it's great to get back, and I am feeling very, very, very rejuvenated and excited to get into today's topics. But before we get into today's topics, I want to let you guys know that we are looking for sponsors. If you're interested in getting an ad read for your business, email the2seemedpod at gmail.com or direct message us on Twitter at the2seemedpod. Today's topics will be centered around the new rules that will be implicated in the minor leagues this coming 2021 season, as well as a couple rules that have been theorized for a few years now. An example of that being uh, the mound being moved back or moved closer. But Nate, how are, what are you thinking about these rule changes? I think we're going to start off with the base sizes. So what? how do you feel about these base sizes? Do you even think it's relevant? I I feel like it's probably the most minute difference of any of the rule changes. Uh, I think that eight, moving from 15-inch to 18-inch squares in the minor league, like at, at best, that uh, shortens base running a bit, but it, it seems obviously the most minute of these rule changes. Right, and to rep to the specifics is that in AAA this year, the sizes of each base will be increased from a 15-inch squares to 18-inch squares, and I don't feel like it's going to do too much to baseball. Um, baseball is a game of seconds and milliseconds where, um, you know, one second is however many steps for a person to be running. Mm. So I can see it being a little bit there. There's a little bit of a, with an increased bag, we could see maybe more infield hits right. potentially. I think more of it is going to be on the stolen base side because with a bigger bag, uh, base runners can slide more out of the base path they can go around to get around tags and i I like that like a little hobby baez action yeah i think that's exciting for baseball um and i think the main thing that the reasoning they did put these uh, implications into effect is that um it's gonna help with first baseman um not getting stepped on in the minor leagues yeah i think you're right about that tyler i think one i think the biggest difference that uh bigger base bigger bases will make is in those blink it you miss it those sudden moments like stealing bases where that where a three inch difference in size can make all of that difference and it's important to note once again that this is only going to be implicated into triple a this year which i find strange i don't know why if you look at every single rule change that we are going to be talking about today each one of them or almost each one of them are going to be implicated at a different level of minor league baseball this year which has been cut down with a lot of these teams being left in limbo and that's a topic for another episode we are talking about minor leagues but i don't think that is that's not really a rule change in fact it's it's more of a just change with the minor leagues and how that operation gets run and we'll talk about it more probably when we get closer to the mlb draft this year which is also going to have a lot of different changes but I think base sizes being changed isn't going to make too much of a difference uh, in baseball, in minor league baseball, but I'm glad to see that maybe they are experimenting with it and it's going to be something that we might see more of in the future. 
Um, but moving down the line to double A, the next rule change that is a much bigger topic um, is the defensive positioning rule change, which will require to position four players in the infield. Each player must have both feet in front of the outer boundary of the infield dirt. In the second half of the season, MLB may also require the teams to keep two infielders on each side of second base, though that is not a requirement at the outset. So, what this means? So, the outfielders or infielders can't go into the outfield and play those defensive shifts where they're deep into the pockets. Nate, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how teams in AA respond to these new defensive positioning rules. I wonder how they're going to adjust their strategy. Like, are they going to uh, put, or are they going to have, like, are teams going to have to shoot more home runs, shoot for more home runs, or are teams going to, like, try and shoot under? I think teams are going to, uh, obviously, the shift has made players not want to hit the other way, actually. Mm. I think in most cases, the shift with the player being in the outfield has actually forced players to want to hit over the infielders, over all the fielders, and hit for more home runs. So with that option there and the space being there for hitters to have more line drives and more singles, I can see it being more creating like more pure hitters in a sense. But I think a topic that isn't being talked about is that i don't know it myself but i don't Mm. know how much double a teams use the shift i mean how much analytical usage or strategy do they use in double a i wouldn't know um if they do use the shift as much as like an mlb team does um then perhaps it would be because how useful of a change is this really like is it and like when you look at any double a player i mean how much statistical analysis do you have on these players that are like oh this guy pulls the ball all the time so we're gonna play Mm. a guy in the shift uh most of these players are sure they could have a lot of ab's and all that but i mean people move up and down the system uh they're always developing players around this time so i mean I, I don't know how much of a difference is going to be on AA teams, but it's definitely really important that they are experimenting with right. the idea of having only for, having a mandatory four infielders yeah. on the infield. Yeah, this feels like a litmus test for when they're going to try for when they're going to try some anti-shift rules in the majors. Like this, this right. feels like they're da- they're experimenting almost with the minor leagues. Like they're dabbling with what they could do to move to the ga- to move to the majors within double a here and trying to fix the uh the shift right yeah 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 and to just clarify they could have three infielders on one side they could have four infielders on one side but they can't be on the outfield grass they must be staying on the infield dirt and to hit on the back end of the the ruling that they could imply implement into that second half of the season where they could have keep two infielders on each side of second base honestly i mean i feel like if you're gonna if you're not gonna be able to put one in the outfield Mm. i don't know whether or not teams are gonna put two people on one side of the base anyways well i don't know what how do you feel if you're if you're an mlb coach or if you're an milb milb coach Mm. and you're not able to put the second baseman in the outfield and slide the shortstop over to cover that space. Do you still want to have three guys on one side of the infield? I think shifting there really depends on the personnel because if you have the personnel, like as a coach, if you have the personnel, if you have the players 
to shift, even without the second baseman, to shift and still be able to make that defensive play, then I'd say go for it because you want to have all your options on the table. But at the same time, you got to be careful because, I mean, against the right batter, against uh, whatever direction you shift, if the batter's going the opposite direction, you kind of leave yourself wide open. Like well, yeah, and that, and I, yeah. that's the shift in general. And I think I think it's important to note that, like, even when you put a second baseman on the edge of the outfield grass, you can still slide the shortstop over, like, over up the middle, right? And you'll still be covering a lot of ground. And I think I think the shift is still going to live, and I think there's going to be a still a lot of shifting done in Double A. Right. It just gets rid of that one specific shift that you'll right. see against Joey Gallo, or you'll mm. see against Anthony Rizzo, where they have a guy playing in the outfield grass because they're limiting that line drive factor. Right. So I still I do believe there's still going to be three guys to one side of the infield, maybe two guys on one side of the infield and one covering up the middle if you mm. want to be specific with it. But yeah, I think I think that there's still going to be shifting if I'm an Emma if I'm a double A coach, I'm going to be shifting still if if the analytics say so and that's that's going to be the important factor. It's going to be interesting to see how it how it all develops and whether or mm. not this makes it to other parts of the minor leagues. Yeah. I mean, the minor leagues are really like just an experimental zone where MLB just throws a bunch of rules down there right. and they're just like, well, we'll it's see what happens. It's, they're the it's guinea pigs. Lab. They're the yeah. guinea pigs of professional baseball. Right. I don't think this is outright going to kill the shift or do any significant damage to it, at least as long as it stays in double A. But I think this variation of the shift is like way more high risk, high reward. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think that'll be. Re- I think it's going to be really interesting to see how it pans out in the minors this year, and how and how successful it is, and how they'll adapt the rule or shift it towards the MLB. No pun intended. <laughs> okay, and we. I think <laughs> on that we do have to start moving down the ranks to low A. There is another rule on high single A baseball, but we're going to move to low A because I feel like it is. These, the last three rule changes are kind of all intertwined. So we're going to move to the electronic strike zone. In the low A, Southeast League specific, select games. Not even every single game. There will be a use of the electronic strike zone. Um, what are we thinking here with the electronic strike zone? We're getting rid of a lot of different factors that are a part of the MLB culture or baseball culture. And... That's between the human aspect of umpires. They're still going to be there. They're still going to be calling outs and stuff like that. But with an electronic strike zone, I mean, sure, we're going to get a clarification on balls and strikes. But to what extent? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things about an electronic strike zone is that it establishes a set strike zone because uh, there because the, the, it can be different for different players, and it also it can be different for different players like Aaron Judge and Jose Altuve are just it's just the funniest example of disparity between players but they're obviously going to have very different strike zones so part of, so you'd want a human umpire for that in that sense to be able to correctly determine a strike zone for each player but at the same time an electric stri- an electric strike zone for the rest of the league would be or at least a, a set electric strike zone would definitely help to clarify balls and strikes more. And not only does it establish a strike zone for each player, but every umpire also has a different interpretation of the strike zone. Right. And, you know, I don't... I think it has to be up to the person that is working the strike zone and, and all mm. that to kind of 
analyze and know what they're doing because I don't know we haven't seen it yet for the Southeast League and it's important to note that they did test these electronic strike zones in the Atlantic League and the Arizona Fall League but I don't have any film for that and I haven't seen anything from what they did there so I don't really know exactly how it all panned out Um, but I guess that is a point to be like they experimented with this and now they're trying it at a different level of baseball so in a way, it's climbing the ranks, and we could see it in the MLB. Right. I think it's. I don't. I don't know if it's gonna climb up all the way to the MLB for immediately, but I, I feel like as it, it it's gonna rise. It's coming. The, it's coming. It's gonna rise through the ranks a bit. I think in a few, in definitely a few years, I think we'll start. I don't even think we'll see it all at once in the MLB too. I think it'll be in select games at first. Right. Like it's in select yeah, games it's in, in low A baseball. Now it's gonna be a very gradual shift upwards for the set strike zone. But one thing that I, I a point I wanted to make about the strike zone is how does this affect catchers? Because it, this kind of adds a new wrinkle to their job description. At, at least or theoretically, it would add a new wrinkle to their job description. It would. Yeah, I mean, it does kind of add that wrinkle to their job description, like you said, because framing is such a big piece of catching now. I mean, we've seen it grow in the game, and there's like a legit skill for it now. Mm. And there's a legit thing that when people or when scouts are looking at catchers, they're looking at how they do position themselves so they can frame the baseball back into the strike zone. We've seen it with Gary Sanchez, how he changed to his stance so that when he catches the ball low he brings his glove up every single time he's bringing his glove up every time and he gets more calls from it so i mean in a way if you add that electronic strike zone and it's i don't know how it's going to work if it's sensors because like it's about where the ball crosses the plate right that's what it matters it's when the ball crosses the plate that is when you can determine if it's a strike or ball not when it's in the mitt when it crosses the plate and that's why a lot of times you'll see a ball that's spinning so much so many rpms and but it'll look like a ball but the like little strike zone thing that they have it will be a strike because that's when it crossed and that's the important part and i think that is going to be a clarification that's going to be made because with an umpire they can't see exactly when that ball crosses the plate sometimes that comes up a little blurry a little muddy but with an electronic strike zone i guess they would have that information so they'll be able to make that call but yeah i mean i didn't think of it before but catchers will will take a toll to this right yeah, I think another thing about it is this is going to affect pitchers, too. I mean, like, in a game like baseball where the counts are so... Like, a uh, 1-2 count versus a 2-1 count, all these counts are so important. And with a, with a set strike zone, that is going to it's going to change how something so many things are called. And so many counts in games are going to look different with an electronic strike zone. Right, because some pitches are on the black and they're on the corner. They might be a little off the plate, but they've been called strikes generally for years. And right. some of them have been called balls. And, you know, it's going to be more, it's definitely going to be an adjustment period. And it's not just going to affect pitchers, it's going to affect the batters too. Because when they are taking pitches and something's maybe on on the outside of the plate, maybe they'll lay off more pitches that are on the outside a little more. Just because it might, because it might be called a ball due to the lack of human error, you know, that that's not there anymore. But... Um, I do think that as we do talk about pitchers, it's important to talk about the next three rules that have all been applied to pitchers. Um, The first one being the step-off rule. In high A, pitchers will be required to disengage from the rubber before attempting a pickoff throw. Violations will result in a balk. I mean, this is going to affect lefties a ton. I mean, what do you think about that? 
Oh, it's going to affect lefties for sure. It's going to make the decision to run against lefties that much easier because now, because they have to step off, they won't have that quick move that they can go to. Right, and because when you're a base runner and you're facing off against a lefty pitcher, um, you kind of have to make that call, that decision yourself, and there's a little bit of hesitation when that lefty lifts up his leg because you don't know if he's going to pick off to you or you don't know if he's going to pitch to the to the plate. But... Now, once you see that leg lift and you're facing him, you know it's to go. You can go. You don't have to have that worry because the only way he can pick you off now is if he steps off the rubber. Um, and I, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it because the old rule is that if he breaks towards home plate but he throws over, it's a balk. So there's no, you don't have to define that anymore. You have to just judge it based off of did he step off. And I think... For a lot of lefties, it's going to be adjustment to them because they have always picked off the first base mm. with that. Um, they've always picked off with that stride, and you're taught that when you're younger. Like you, pitchers that are lefties are taught that when they're younger. They're not taught the other pickoff way unless they're going to second base. So I think it is going to be an adjustment. I don't think it's going to affect them too bad. I think each pitcher, each professional baseball player, can make <laughs> that adjustment. Yeah. But it's definitely going to change the way that. And high that, A, it's definitely going to change a lot. Yeah, so. it's. A, I think in in high A specifically, I think a lot of people want to show their speed because it's an asset, right? Right. When you're trying to prove yourself as a baseball player and you're trying to climb the ranks, getting stolen bases and showing that you have speed, that you can be versatile on the base paths uh, and just be a five-tool player is important. And I think mm. those guys getting those extra stolen bases per year is going to definitely add to maybe... Maybe to some people's careers. I mean, yeah, I think that how how that's a good point. Like, how how is that going to affect rising prospects? Because if I I, I don't want to say it'll like inflate their stats because they clearly still have that skill to steal the bases anyway. It's right. just going to make and the it's decision. Not like, it's just going to make the, that decision to run easier. And if you have more stolen bases, it is going to look better. And it's not like every single pitcher is a lefty pitcher. Right. Righty pitchers are still going to be picking off the same way. Of course, not as many people righties pick off to third base. Right. Uh, so that's not going to change too much. They're still going to be stepping off and spinning. Uh, so that's going to still be there. But it's definitely going to be something for base runners to, to take advantage of. And I think more stolen bases is exciting for baseball. Mm. Uh, and in high A... Uh, I think it's going to be good to experiment with. But moving on to the next thing that affects our pitchers is pitch timers. Pitch timers are going to be implemented in the low A West League. Pitchers will be placed on a 15 second pitch clock, which is five seconds faster than the clock currently used in double A AA and triple A. So it is important to note that there is a pitch clock in double A mm. and triple A that that's been used. And I think it's been good for them yeah. for minor league games because they are quicker. And now we're going to have one in low A that's even faster. Right. So what are we thinking about that? Uh, I think that the pitch clock, at least for now, as long as it stays in its developmental stages in the minors, is welcome. I think that, I, I don't know if 15 seconds is a little fast. I, I feel like 20 seconds w is a better range. Like I feel like it still gives enough time for the pitchers to prepare but at the same time it is exciting to see it sped up a bit i think 15 second a 15 second pitch clock moving on up would be very exciting yeah and i think in, in as you move lower in minor league baseball i guess that i guess the the regimen gets lower as well right, right. so they're like <clears throat> 
These guys are in low A, sing low single A. So let's just make their games even shorter. Let's mm. see what we can do to make their games shorter. Uh, in double A, where it's more televised and there's more higher prospects that people want to watch, maybe they'll have the longer periods in between. And I think MLB needs to also adopt the the twenty second pitch count. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie. I think it needs to be a part of the MLB. I know I have generally in the past been against like, oh, what does pace of play do? Mm. But in the retrospect, it is about how many times you get to see that pitcher pitch in a certain amount of time before your attention span goes away from the game. Right, 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 right. That's a good point. I also think I think that adding a 20 second pitch clock to the majors would do a lot for watchability and marketability, like because it keeps the game moving. There's not some extended period of time where you're waiting for the next pitch and these counts don't take too unbearably long, at least for some viewers. And you know, with, with five seconds, or uh, five seconds less on that 15 second pitch clock, you know, I don't think we've seen it and we're going to see it this year in low a, um, but well, the low a West league specifically, mm. but I don't know how much of a difference that's going to make from the 20 second pitch clocks that are, um established but yeah i think it's gonna to your point it's gonna make games i guess a little more watchable uh people are able to get through them more i don't know how many games in low a are really televised or how many of those games how many people actually go to low a games versus double a sing, uh double a or triple a but right i think that like just because a pitch timer is the most obvious and i think most sought after rule change among the among the, the pace MLB of play version. ones yeah, specifically. the pace of play rule the pace of play rule changes I think that if the MLB announced that they were going to go with a 20-second pitch clock for from now on, there's going to be a 20-second pitch clock in games. I think that would catch people's attention more than any other rule change. I'd be, I think people would see that and be like, oh my gosh, baseball games are going to go so much faster now. And there'd be less of an incentive to change so many other rules. I feel like the adding a pitch clock is both the most beneficial and most notable rule change the MLB could take. Yeah, I think that I think that's exactly what would happen with the MLB if they did adopt some sort of pitch clock and I once again believe that it is part of the game that should be there. And I think we got a transition here to our last final rule change that is going to be implemented into the minor leagues. Across low A, pitchers will only be allowed to step off twice per plate appearance. Any subsequent throw over must result in a successful retiring of the runner or it's a balk. I personally don't like pickoffs. <laughs> um, I mean, two pickoffs per plate appearance I think is acceptable because I, when I'm watching a game and a guy goes over four times, three, four, yeah. five times in one at bat and you're right. just waiting to get to the next pitch, uh, it could be really taxing, and you're just sitting there being like, just throw the baseball yeah, you're already. you're just sitting there like, oh my god, throw the ball. You don't need to keep doing this. Like <laughs> He has the message. They're yeah, watching you, like... you know? <laughs> like, we got the yeah. idea. But I do believe that, <laughs> in a way, that pickoffs do have a certain aspect in the major leagues where that every single time they do a pickoff, it could be allowing for uh the pitcher in the bullpen to get more throws in before they do try to make right. that switch but late what are you what are you thinking about in low a baseball re restricting the amount of times that they can make pickoffs i like the idea of restricting pickoffs i think that i, I like the idea of I, i'm i think two maybe three is a good number of pickoffs where it's like okay that's the limit but i just wonder if a balk is like the best in the best deterrent from making those 
pickoffs because it's like I, it feels like almost a severe punishment yeah and i think the funniest part about this rule change is that like they're like if you make any other pickoffs you better get the guy out or it's a balk <laughs> yeah what a weird thing like you have to be so sure with that third that third pickoff of that at bat that you're gonna get that man out that'd be so funny to watch in the majors like just like just that third throw or at least it'd make that third pickoff exciting right (laughs) it would you'd be like oh maybe he sees something he's gonna get this guy out and if it doesn't (laughs) then you've got then it's just people would have highlight reels of like the most gutsy decisions to throw that third pickoff like there would be somebody could build their whole brand off of being like that pitcher that went for the third the third time and got the out yeah just that pit that pitcher that comes in and it's like yeah i went for it that third time i got the out don't run against me don't try it you get two chances against me that's it that is true and it's like it's kind of backwards in that sense because the pitcher you throw three strikes and they're out but if mm. you make three pickoffs then you're out you gotta yeah. make the other guy to move <laughs> all the way to second base yeah. but as we are on the topic of pitchers, we do want to talk about one last theory. And all these rules that we've talked about prior to this have been things that are implemented into the minor league baseball. But this one, which is the moving of the mound, has not been put into baseball. It's been the same for years now. And there has been a lot of talks about what would happen if they did move that mound back. So, Nate... What's your start of starting takes on the moving of the mound back? Uh, I think I, I read this article in the Ringer that was really interesting about it. Um, it, it made this point that like moving that messing with the mound or moving the mound back would be like it would be sports sacrilege almost because when was the last time the mound? The Not since the, the creating yeah. of the league, my yeah, friend. Yeah, exactly. There, there, it hasn't been touched since the creating of the league. It's been the one uh major consistency of baseball in its entire existence so moving that mound back would be monumental right and having that constant is really important for baseball and i think it's something that trans you know every level of baseball you know you have that right you have Mm -hmm. that you have the space between the bases 90 feet the mound being 60 feet and six inches up uh is is important to the game and i think that if you move that mound back that ball is gonna spin more right right we're living in an age where balls are spinning like crazy and it could be because pitchers are using foreign substances but but those are allegations and we Mm. haven't heard anything that is confirmed that these pitchers are using a lot of different foreign substances um, to get a lot more spin on the ball but in an age where the ball is spinning like crazy you're gonna have a lot more movement i mean that's going to be interesting for more interesting pitches i mean we're going to see a lot more of those nasty curveballs that everybody right. loves mm. um but i mean it could result in even more strikeouts yeah. i think the most yeah i think the most simple rationale for moving the mound back in the to paraphrase the ringer would be that uh modern pitchers are mo- throw much harder than pitchers oh, yeah. when the sport was made. I mean, Absolutely. Jacob deGrom or Max Scherzer throws a hell of a lot harder than pitchers of the game's infancy. So it, it feels like the, the rationale there is just to move the just to move the mound back as the game evolves. Right, and I think the game is evolving over the last decade, and I think that the culture of pitching is also evolving in the fact right. that like when pitchers are growing up and they're in high school you're a college pitcher you're working that velo 
that velo is going to be climbing because that is what scouts are looking for. If you can touch triple digits in the minor leagues, you're probably going to get paid. You're probably <laughs> going to make it because speed has become such a big part of baseball. Um, just because, of course, as I've mentioned before, baseball is a game of milliseconds. You know, you only have such a limited time to react to a baseball. So if you're pitching even faster than that, if you're going touching triple digits, if you're a Roldis Chapman, if you're Jordan Hicks, mm. you're going to be touching these numbers that are going to make it so much harder for batters to hit off you. You move that mound back, you have much more time to decide whether or not, you know, that baseball uh, or when to swing at that baseball, I mm. guess, and time that up correctly. But at the same time, you're also going to be adding a lot more spin on the baseball. Right. But I think something that I just touched on is that mm. batters have been hitting from 60 feet for how long now? God. Every batter, when you're growing up, you're you're hitting on the same right. lengths, right? It's the same mm. distances. Your timings are all the same pretty much, and you kind of know that. But I don't know if it would affect the batters more than it would affect the pitchers. So uh, one thing I was thinking about, this article made me think about, was uh, what, what could you could the mound be moved back at different levels of the game? Like in high school, you could bat from 60 feet out, whereas in the minors and in the MLB, it'd be something like 90 feet out. And it'd be almost like... Or, or, the base, could be, the mound would never yeah. be a, the length of a base. That's, That's for fair. sure. They That's would not true. move the base right. thirty. But at the feet. same time, at the same time, it's like it, it would it be like the college and NBA three point lines because the NBA three point line is farther out than the college one, so rookies have to adjust to that shooting. Would it be similar in that yeah. sense? In a way, I can MLB? I can see where you're coming from because in college baseball, they use metal bats and in right. professional baseball, you use wooden bats, right? So that's mm. a different uh, discrepancy there. Um, but I don't believe that if you change the mounds in professional baseball, uh, which would be very annoying for everybody that has to do field management across the nation because I think you would have to change the mound everywhere because you, it's hard for me to believe that if you're going to try to be training to get drafted to the MLB and or if you are a low A or like a low minor league player playing on a different mound, right? A different different length and distance. I mean, it's going to change so much of like how you go about your your business, how you go about pitching, how you go about each batter, how the ball comes out of your hand, what are scouts looking at? If you are looking at a player who is throwing absolute heat in college mm. just because the mound is shorter and then he gets to MLB standard length that you're talking right. about, like it gets further and further away, mm. and all of a sudden that heat doesn't matter anymore... I mean, it completely would yeah. change how scouting works. Right. Like, it, it. I feel like the bar for velocity would instantly hike, like with pitching prospects, cause in order, because in order to effectively pitch at that point, you've got to have way more velocity. You've got to give, like, because moving the bound that far back would give batters so much more time to work with. So I think that the bar for velocity with pitching prospects would just go sky high. I think, in fact, I think that, the velocity, sure, I think velocity would go up. Be in more fact, valued. It would be more valued, yeah. even more than it is today. Right. But I think what would be even more valued is more pitchers would want to have that really nice curveball, that really nice oh, change yeah. up that dives down into the like 
batter's knees, uh, a two-seamer that curves in on the batter, a cutter that cuts away, you know, something like that. I mean, so many pitchers would not be would be focusing more on on spin rates than mm. they would be focusing on the um, the velocity of the baseball. But I do believe that we are reaching the end of the podcast right. here, and I think. The mound being moved is definitely an important topic, and it's going to be discussed for years to come, but it isn't a thing that is in minor leagues or major leagues at all yet, so we can only believe in it in theory. And with that, I want to thank you for listening to the Two Scene Podcast. If you want to stay up to date with the status of the podcast, follow us on Twitter at the Two Scene Pod, and follow the podcast on Spotify. We are looking for sponsors, so if you are interested in getting an ad read for your business, email the2seamedpod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed our personal takes, as always, you can follow us on our respective Twitter accounts at Tyler underscore Foy and Lannon underscore Nate. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you on Monday for episode six of the Two Scene Podcast. (laughs) 